All right. Welcome to another episode of Principal Liner Notes. This is episode 99, uh, not to be confused with uh, Agent 99 uh, from Get Smart. Uh, and and uh, anyway, I'm just pleased to have another old friend and bandmate here on the podcast. Uh, last week, a friend, great friend of ours, Jeff Howard, was on and we made reference to uh, our dear and great friend, Max Bizarro, who is here with us on uh, the principal liner notes. Some of you, uh, especially if you are in the, perhaps in the tri-state area or the New Jersey area, may see uh, Max as a familiar face and a familiar name. He is the editor of Insider NJ and is one of the eminent experts uh, on New Jersey uh, politics. Also, he is the author of of a great book, bosses don't get kneecapped. Which uh, what what all basically again is a, is a great uh, great tome on the, the political machinations uh, of um, of New Jersey politics. Uh, all of that aside, I know Max as as a friend, a a brother, and and a bandmate, and and just like Jeff, Max uh, Max and I went to. Uh, Catholic University in Washington, uh, D.C., and, and we are lifelong friends. And uh, I welcome you, Max, and I'm grateful that you're here, my friend. Sean, I'm privileged to be here. I'm just delighted, and thank you for that that wonderful introduction. And uh, I just saw the book that you held up, and I wanted to give a plug to Anna Demidova, oh, yeah. my friend who painted that cover. And uh, I so appreciate you acknowledging the book. Pal, I know it's a long time in coming, and uh, you, um, you know, we'll we'll talk more about the book and and talk more about about what what you're working on. Um, but uh, I'm real proud that that was one it was one of the one of the great moments of my life uh, and our friendship when this thing uh, landed in my mailbox because I know that there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and and long and winding roads leading leading to that book. So. Um, and and in many ways, um, you know, there are there are many nods in the book, conceptual nods, and 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 one of the things about principal liner notes is is that we, you know, we we always go down all kinds of roads of music, and here uh, we're we're going to dive in head first now, and, and again. We, we, we will try not to be too elusive. I love the anecdote that you said when, when you were with my daughters years ago, like, you know, basically dad's friends are all weird. Um, so, um, but, but uh, we're going to dive, first of all, the poster behind you, man. I, I noticed that in our, our pre-conversation here. Talk, streets of Fire, I mean. Pal, it's a, it's a classic 1980s collision of uh, chaos and uh, mayhem. It's a great movie. If anyone out there hasn't seen it, you really ought to go check it out. The magnificent Diane Lane, an early Willem Dafoe appearance, and uh, the great Michael Pare. And Rick Moranis. That's right. Rick Moranis is, yeah. is in that film. And uh, if if I'm not mistaken, 85? When did that film come out? That sounds about right, pal. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I can dream about you. The soundtrack is really what what the film is most famous for. Um, I know that you, you know, will will we'll fight for the film. Um, you know, you know, you know, two fisted. But um, and well, what about the intro of the film? Another place, another time. Oh yeah, a rock and roll fable. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> You know, uh, you know. Perhaps we need to, to to dedicate an episode to Streets of Fire, pal. Um, uh, but but anyway, um, you and I. Every time we talk music, we talk about the concept album. Uh, I've talked about the concept album on 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 this podcast. I've written about it. I make references to it. Um, I, I would love, you know, and that's really going to be kind of. I mean, we're going to riff all over the place in this podcast, but. But but and also for those of you who who, who are educators uh, tuning in, Ma Max is also a former teacher. Uh, he taught taught in the Bronx uh, at uh, Cardinal Spellman High School. He's an English teacher, and he also taught in uh, in North Philly. Both um, both challenging assignments, and and I know that uh, your students uh, are are better having been been experienced in your, your 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 class. But when when we talk concept albums, man, what 
what's your definition? What's your take? Go there. Well, Paul, I have to say most of what I know about the subject comes from you, first of all. And and I think I would like to start by just, <clears throat> pardon me, just recalling the time when I first became aware of you, if you don't mind. And in that context, address your question directly. But I think it's important. And I think when I when I think about the concept album, I think about the concept of our conversation all these years ongoing and, and how much I've learned over that period of time. But I remember sitting in Dr. Marianne McGrail's lyric poetry class, which was a requirement for all English majors. We had to take lyric poetry. And it was the second day of class. And she had assigned the class Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Right. And so we went back to day two of the class to, to talk about this e extraordinary and zany and wild romantic poem. Mm -hmm. And we were all sitting there terrified. And <laughs> she, she was she, an intimidating presence. Yeah, she was. Uh, Harvard oh, educated, yeah, brilliant yeah. woman, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The best, the best professor I had at Catholic, Sean, and I she, so. right, yeah, and she, she said, "Does anyone want to talk about this poem?" And we all just waited. No one answered. So she's looking at the, the list of people in the class, and she right. says, "Sean, Gaylord," and so, uh. I hear this this baritone voice in the back of the room, denim and to sir with love suddenly comes out from behind the the upraised desktop. And yeah, uh, it's it's Sean Gaylord and sitting in the back of poetry class. And what is he going to say about this this extraordinary hallucination that is Coleridge's Kublai Khan? And so you say in the most conversational tone, relaxed, easygoing. I was listening to Jimi Hendrix last night and while reading this poem. And I just was struck by the connections. And the moment you said that, I just knew that this is a guy I want to spend some time with. This is a guy I want to I want to be friends with. And I had seen you before because you worked on campus in the mailroom. So I, I saw you in that setting. Yeah. Where you were just doing the John Dos Passos you know, loading trucks, the, the working man. But but to have a guy actually draw a line from Coleridge to Hendrix to me was uh, so uh, exhilarating. And so when you ask about the concept album. And when you asked me to be on the show, I, I really wanted to talk about Hendrix, at least in part, because yeah. that was the first time that that you offered an insight that I became aware of. And I think that a concept album really has to, to, to truly be distinguished. It has to bring together different forms and then entertain those forms all at once and when i think about hendrix i i do think that it's it's so apropos that you that you considered him alongside coleridge who became one of the godfathers if not the main guy through that poem of the romantic movement mm -hmm. and for hendrix he did three three albums that he that he really produced. Obviously, Electric Ladyland, his last album, he he was hyperactively producing with his hands all over every element of it, even yep. picking up the bass and playing the bass. There it is. There it is, pal. Absolutely. And um, and so when I think about concept album and Hendrix, in this case, Electric Ladyland, or any of the three. I think about what he brought together, Sean, and, and I've thought about it for this show. And, and what I think it really comes down to is he had this extraordinary foundation in the blues. 
Mm-hmm. That that was in him. This was not an evil Knievel lunchbox dude going out and finding an electric guitar and trying to make chords. This was a guy who possessed the lost chord deep within himself. Mm. And so he already had that. That that was the foundation. Right on. Right? Then he's a kid that goes out and and here's Bob Dylan. And we know this from letters he wrote while in the army to his father. Dylan made a profound impression on Hendrix because as you always noted, John Lennon didn't like his own voice. Hendrix hated his own voice. Right. And um, when he heard Dylan, yes, he was captivated by the the com- complexity of the lyrics and the message, and, and he was totally keyed into that. But critically, he recognized that Dylan didn't have a classic Perry Como, Bing Crosby singing voice, and that if Dylan could do it, he could do it. And so getting back to the concept, it's the blues and then it's it's Bob Dylan, folk uh, influenced, um, lyrical brilliance and and the anger of the times. And then, Sean, it's science fiction. That's and right. Jimi Hendrix himself called his concept science fiction rock, whether it's are you experienced or Axis Bold as Love or Electric Ladyland? The unifying concept. And the reason I wanted to talk about all three albums is because the unifying concept and what makes all three of those not dissimilar from John Dos Passos's USA trilogy is they do formulate a conceptual trilogy. And at the heart of that trilogy is blues, Dylan influence mm-hmm. and science fiction. And when you take polls as bizarre as the blues and science fiction what you get finally is Jimi hendrix and and really the apotheosis of psychedelia and pal there's a great biography out there on hendrix i believe the the gentleman's name is cross but from that i discovered that this novel is what gave Jimi hendrix it's called night of light by a fellow named philip jose farmer wow and Hendrix was a science fiction freak. Yes, he was. When he was a little boy, people he insisted that people call him Buster after Buster Crabbe, who was Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Rogers right. right. And so he always had that fascination with science fiction. And he would devour novels. Chaz Chandler, who was his producer from, mm-hmm. from The Animals, he would give... Hendrix novel after novel and he said that that Hendrix had more science fiction novels in his apartment than clothes and when you think about that first that 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 first major innovative song of Hendrix that came out in March of 67 two months before Sergeant Pepper Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band he he from this novel found the following line and that is Above it, the moon shone golden purple in the center and silver purple around the edges. So huge was it, it seemed to be falling. And this apparent down hurdling was strengthened by the slight shifting of hue in the purple haze. Wow. And so he he got those words from this pop dime store novel that's forgotten today. And that that phrase comes up several times in the book. He was fascinated by it. And, And so... You start with the first single he released in England, which was Hey Joe. And again, this is, pal, you and I love all versions of that song, whether it's Love or The Birds. I, I don't think I've ever heard the Leaves version. I don't know if you have. But yeah. but they all interpret similarly. And what it is, is it's suburban kids banging on electric guitars and singing very fast. And there's no pathos in it. There's no blues in it. That's right. And so the first, the first conceptual offering to this grand trilogy and to the first album is a blues song that is taking Hey Joe back mm-hmm. from the teeny bopper crowd to really root it in what it is itself. And when you hear that song, it's not David Crosby, God bless his soul. And May he rest and, in and peace. Yeah. What a phenomenal talent, but it's, it's not some kid 
that that is listening to a cover song from another band what it is is you you feel like you're listening to the guy who actually shot his old lady in that song you, you're listening yeah. to the guy of experience the guy with blood in his hands the guy who is himself the blues and then you go from that to purple haze which is this science fiction extravaganza that pal you were listening to when you were reading Kubla Khan by by Coleridge this is these the the amazing vision right this is the vision this is Marco Polo taking us to visit Kubla Khan and right. that's Jimi Hendrix he's the traveler going beyond this narrow realm that we're occupying this this realm of interpretation of other people this is the traveler taking the lead this is the the captain sitting in the chair taking the spaceship beyond our galaxy and 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 so this is at the heart of the concept it's the blues and science fiction and everything in between mm. and everything in between is everything with Jimi Hendrix. Right. Wow. Pal, that your your take on this tremendous period of music, this very finite period of music of, of Hendrix from, you know, in, in, in the course of that trilogy was done in the course of about a year and a half, almost two years. And 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 to and to connect those dots just quite eloquent. And and the thing about this album, Electric Ladyland, um, which is kind of part three of, of this Hendrixian trilogy, is, um, you know, when I was reading Kubla Khan all those years ago, um, I was I was listening to 1983, the song 1983, A Merman I Should Turn to Be, and uh, which, which, which is which to me is the centerpiece of the album. I know people talk about Voodoo Child, the, the, the great hit from here all along the Watchtower, Bob Dylan's cover. Um, but uh, but the thing about about Hendrix and, and 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 what you said, and the concept album in general is that there was no precedent for what Hendrix was doing, so to speak. There, there. I, I like how you said. I, I, sh I should go back and, and take note of this. You know, there was the blues, science fiction, and then everything in between. And that everything in between, this 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 creation, this this expression. Um, there's, there's, there's no precedent. And, and Hendrix had the, the, uh, the heroics, right? The, the, uh, the, the, the fortitude, the, 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 the courage, uh, to innovate and, and, and to do something that, you know, and if you look at all three of those albums, there isn't like a, a pop sellout hit, you know, this is, this this is uh this is him being this innovation this innovator creating a masterpiece and 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 so often you and the the other kind of the variable in a concept album is yes I know I may fall flat on my face yes I know that that this this is um you know grand and and maybe maybe even called pretentious but I still have the courage the strength to to do something that's never been done before to do something that's that's different My, michael paré you know who who is uh starring in that 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 film poster behind you and eddie and the cruisers you know where, where he's making this album season and hell yeah and, and and you know the the corporate everybody's pushing against him the band's pushing against him you know we've spent a year of our lives making this weird album eddie you know we we should be making hits you know like on the dark side or 10 years and he goes i want to do something different i want to do something that's never been done before and and to me that 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 to me is requisite for for a concept album um you know we and 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 to me as as an educator probably to you as an editor and, and as as a writer the you know probably why we go back to concept albums is this this is th th that inspiration that inspiration to do something different even though we know it may fail or flop like pretty much every album uh after in search of a lost chord by moody blues yes um <laughs> I made I made that dig there, but um, but 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 again, it, it to me that's to me that's the essence. But you, I I, I did not know. I'm I'm going to track down Night of Light 
Uh, I did not know that about Purple Haze, man. I just knew that he'd stayed up all night writing it, uh, probably was under the influence of some sort of chemical. But but I, I we often forget this this was a guy, Hendrix was a science fiction geek. He and, and Arthur C. Clarke's books, you know, all, all of those things. I man, that was and this this is a beautiful album. Well, listen, uh, there's so much there that you just said that that fascinates me. And, and starting with the fact that you were listening to uh, Merman, a Merman I should be. Look, I, I wasn't aware of that song until I was long out of Catholic university. And it, it just says so much about you that, that you were totally turned on by that song at that time. And, and I think that really is the, the apex of of the trilogy. I agree with you. I think that this is Hendrix's own song all on the watchtower, his reinterpretation of the throwaway, which is what Bob Dylan called it song is, is great. It's, it's brilliant, but for Jimi Hendrix to write his own song and, and really the lyrics in that song reflect everything we're talking about. It's, it's the, the evolution of, of the traveler himself. It's, it's man becoming a merman. It's, it's going somewhere. He's he's in fact telling us what he's doing, which he's he's turning into something that has never been before. He's turning into this creature that can live and breathe underwater, and uh, in in spite of what everyone has said, can't be done. And Sean, you said something that I think is really at the heart, the crux of Hendrix finally, and that is the audaciousness, the courage, the 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 the. The, the just pure raw virtue of courage in this guy. And remember, this is a guy who was already a paratrooper. A, a lot of these kids are coming to this music. He already had this, this vast past behind him. He, he was a guy jumping out of airplanes and they couldn't get a guitar out of his hand. And they, they gave him an honorable discharge, recognizing that he's not a bad soldier. It's just that we can't get him to put the guitar down. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you talk about courage a lot and you talk about vision a lot in, in when you consider these artists and, and when you talk about concept album and first of all, the audaciousness of Hendrix to, to take on uh, that establishment. Remember he, he was with the, 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 um, the Isley brothers sitting on a couch mm-hmm. watching, um, watching the Beatles on television. And what was it? 1964. Mm-hmm. When they first made their their big statement, right, and they're all sitting there, and the TV goes off, and and they say, um, "This has changed everything we're doing. Like, are we even going to be in business after this?" Mm-hmm. And one of the other guys sitting there said, "They they have two guitarists," and one of the other guys said, "Yeah, but we've got Jimmy, we've got Jimmy," and so he didn't shirk from this challenge. He saw those guys, and Sean, you talk about this short period. It was just three years later in 1967 where Jimi Hendrix, the day after Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band gets right. released, he goes on stage in England, in London, England, in front of the Beatles themselves, Eric Clapton, right. rock royalty, and plays Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band to those guys. So right. you talk about the kind of courageous <laughs> ethos of someone like that to be able to do that. A guy who... who um rips off according to mama cass i think it was at the monterey pop festival i'm not sure but Mm -hmm. um in any event or maybe it was woodstock i can't remember but pete townsend would smash his guitar to pieces and he hendrix did that and then some of the people that were townsend fans were offended because they felt that he was stealing from townsend and then of course he lit the guitar on fire Right. right. So he it's not just that he destroys the guitar, but now he makes a bonfire out of the guitar. And and the one last one that I think about when it comes to courage, Sean, he goes over to London, England. He buys the the, the most gaudy, garish, um, Duke of Wellington style, Lord Nelson uh, uh, coat, right, yep. with the gold yep. buttons, the double breasted and is walking around London and old pensioners are are really offended by this who's this weirdo walking around with this coat and they would go up to him and say 
look, mate, you've got to take that off. You're, you're yeah. offending us. We, we served in the British military. What are you doing? And Hendricks came back with, look, I was in the, I was in the, the airborne. I was in the American airborne. And, and these guys were, were people who remembered the, the, I, I, was the 51st airborne or some, some courageous uh, yeah. um, iteration. And they remembered that, that group from World War II. And they said, oh, we're sorry. So this is the kind of attitude the guy had, uh, just constantly challenging convention. Mm-hmm. And as you point out, there's not a single song on, on those records that fits into any category. He was embarrassed by, um, I think I'll have to wait till tomorrow, because he thought it was a little little too commercial for his taste. I love that song. Me too, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. So so along, along, uh, along that marrow, um another great concept album uh and a contemporary and friend of 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 jimmy's is and 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 it's also this album is also considered to be robert plant's all-time favorite album from led zeppelin in fact uh, i think robert plant said that he would play this album and he would cry he would weep um and that and that is loves forever changes pal 1968 arthur lee uh, Brian McLean, John Eccles, uh, a- another another great bold album, and I believe Arthur Lee was all but twenty six when when he recorded this. This just beautiful, beautiful album. Uh, a-, a band out of L.A. Love. Uh, it- it's a it's a band Max that you and I uh, are tremendous fans of and i know that you you are a tremendous fan of 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 this album and and the entire love story what a what a what what what, what's your take your conceptual take on this first of all pal thank you for introducing me to love because i had never heard of love until you shared that that great band with me and and the, the brilliance of arthur lee and and the guitar playing of the great johnny eccles right. and and they were friends with hendrix and and just one last thing I want to touch on with Hendrix is Arthur Lee is said to have um, perhaps not gotten as far as he should have because he was African American. Like he he yes uh, you know, like he was the ruler of Los Angeles, and they should have been much bigger than they were. And I think some of the band members have have said that they feel that because they were they were way ahead of their time, they were a mixed race band. That, that they couldn't go farther. And, and so that was also on Jimi Hendrix's shoulders, but there they are. Yeah. And, and so just the last point about Hendrix, Sean, is remember, this was a guy who, who, who welcomed the ire of the Black Panthers because he was playing to white audiences. They were right. furious with Hendrix. They were. And simultaneously, the FBI was investigating Hendrix because they didn't know how a black guitarist could be influencing kids like this. What was he doing? Did he, was he brainwashing them? And so Hendrix, in addition to everything else we talked about, he took on that the what what had dogged Arthur Lee, and that is trying to be beyond race. Yeah. Not trying, actually succeeding. He was beyond race. And, and that is something that for our times, uh, I, I think, uh, we should study. We should study how it is that Jimi Hendrix really was was striving not just to be this this musical uh, innovator and 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 was himself a musical genius, but he was that person who who as an American um, really kind of slipped the surly bonds that that have bound us as a as a culture uh, from the beginning. But but getting back to love. Mm. Pal, um, you introduced me to love. Um, you uh, put together those those mixed tapes, and I still remember remember listening to "She Comes in Colors" and "K Vida." Yeah, what what great songs and and just psychedelic little psychedelic gems. Mm-hmm. And and that album itself, as I recall, uh, Arthur Lee was was bidding farewell to the world. Um, Thought he was going right? to die. Yeah, he felt that. And I think this is another part of this time that fascinates us. Living, living with the bomb, living with Doctor Strangelove's bomb, living with Vietnam. Right. The world was was constantly ending, and so this was coming together with 
whatever sufferings uh, occurred in the individual lives of these artists. And it produced a kind of tension and a kind of urgency. Mm-hmm. And that's what comes off that album is, is the urgency. That's, that's a good take on that, man. Yeah. It's because again, the sense of, I thought, as he said, I thought these were my last words to the planet. Um, what, what drove me to this album was I, I read in the, the, um, the oft read and, uh, Jim Morrison biography, No One Here Gets Out Alive. And uh, I remember reading that he, he, Jim Morrison had this aspiration for the doors when they first started out to be as big as love. And I thought, oh, I, I need to go explore that, explore that album. So I remember going to my local Camelot Music in Winston-Salem uh, one summer day uh, and just, and picking up a Best of Love uh, compilation on uh, on Rhino Records, and it I think the the first track was My Little Red Book, which, which uh, the 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 Bacharach, uh David uh, song, which I re- re- remember from uh, what was that? What's new, Pussycat? Right. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and, and and then and then hearing Alone Again or which is off this album uh, again, just a great album. A- another. Another kind of conception. Well, Capo. De Capo was a great album too. De Capo was a great yeah. album. What yeah. a great, yes. Uh, another album that uh, I know that you have great, great affection for, um, and uh, perhaps a we could make an argument for this to be a. a, a you you turned me on to this album, man. Um, Duke Ellington uh, live at uh, at Newport, nineteen fifty six. Pal, go. Pal, Paul Gonzalez. So this was Ellington. Remember, this is this is Duke Ellington from the Cotton Club days, twenty or thirty years earlier. So he was long past his prime. The band is sort of in danger of headed toward the senior citizen circuit, and Duke is is desperately seeking a second act. And Paul Gonzalez steps up with that blistering. What is it? Twenty seven chorus solo. Yeah. Uh, diminuendo and crescendo in blue pal it it was a moment for all time it, it paul gonzalez this kid from from um rhode island uh stepping up and becoming the the star of that version of the duke ellington band so many greats coming in and out of the doors of, of duke ellington's orchestra and this was paul gonzalez's moment and it really was the rebirth of duke ellington and um, created a whole other generation of fans who, who would go on to kind of create the music of our childhood. The, right. the uh, yes, the, the Miles Davises and the, uh, the, the um, Kenny Burrells and, and these guys and, and, and Gil Evans. So. Right. Gil Evans. Yep. The, the, the great uh, arranger, uh, collaborator of Miles Davis uh who um actually was a big Jimi hendrix fan and uh, well it, like last seen running around in an arapaho headdress uh <laughs> interpreting little wing you know with a full right, orchestra man. yeah um pal miles davis and again there's another hendrix miles davis was aware of hendrix went to see him perform pal sitting there with the shades on in the front row mesmerized but pal what an amazing album and again you're you're what a culture clash what a collision you're talking about uh, Rodrigo, Concierto de Aaron Juez, and nice. jazz. And, and so taking two completely disparate things, apparently, and just mashing them together. Uh, yep, and listen, pal, arranged and conducted by Gil Evans. And and Miles Davis called, said that Gil was the equal of Duke Ellington, that for his mind and his money, that there were only two arrangers that he felt were on the same level, and they were Duke and Gil. And, and pal, the album is, is just... Mind blown, and 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 again, this this notion, again, this what I, I guess maybe we can call it conceptual courage. You know, um, Miles Davis could have easily rested on his laurels, played at the Blue Note, um, you know, and and done, played standards, and 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 made made a whole lot of money. But no, I I want I want to I'm doing my Miles Davis. You know I I want to take um you know the, the the Spanish classical music and and play with an orchestra and 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 see what happens and and evoke this this mood of 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 Spain 
Um, just, just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful album. Uh, Sketches of Spain. The title is poetic. Sketches right. of Spain. I right, I, right. And pal, that you touched on it, like the political political correctness that that keeps our era in in bondage. Like, where is the political statement there? Like, he's just going in his own direction. He he's finding the correspondences, uh, to to use Baudelaire's term. He's he's looking for those. Um, extraordinary, apparently disparate symbols of life, and just bringing them together, them together. with no political regard, with no apparent commercial care. design. Yeah, he doesn't care. Now, pal, another another album, and that that I know that you have great affection for, um, and uh, you made reference to earlier um, before before we started the podcast. Uh, a Tramp Shining, Richard oh, Harris. That's great, pal. Jimmy, oh, Jimmy great. Webb. Uh, the the big, you know, the, you know, of course, the standard off this, didn't we? Uh, and of course, the hit, the mammoth hit, MacArthur Park. Flipped the side. A DJ flipped the side, said, what's on the other side? It was MacArthur Park. Right. The Jimmy Webb masterpiece, the, the Hawaii Five-O, uh, Coda. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 brilliant, pal. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, intimate. It's confessional. It, it's uh, it's a poet uh, gone haywire, pal. It's it's King Arthur uh, hallucinating um, <laughs> Daniel Taylor Coleridge. Now, another album uh, that I know and you mentioned Bob Dylan and I know you're a huge fan of Dylan, but I know this My is my favorite Bob Dylan album. Oh, yeah, bringing I, I it all just, back home. Pal, uh, listen. What one side is is uh, acoustic, the other side is electric. I think the first side's electric, right? And and yeah. then it goes acoustic. And I still just can't get over that. I still can't get over. Um, hey, mods. <laughs> it's I'm only bleeding. That that's just. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite Dylan songs, if not my favorite, pal. I, I just uh, think that is a lyrically brilliant album, and and he took the the guitar riff from um, the Everly brothers and put it together with this wild madcap poetry that he had. Now, when you taught, did you, did you bring in any uh, music? Did you, when you, when you were an English teacher, did you bring in um, Dylan or, or did you, did you stick to the script? Uh, I would say that um, here, here's what I did, pal. They assigned books that, um, sort of fulfilled those politically correct uh, aphorisms of our age. And what I always did was brought in Shakespeare to, to bounce off of, of those books. So they, they had sort of the, the books that they thought the kids would devour because they were books about the kids. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get the kids to show that, yes, you're this, but you're also Othello. You're also uh, Iago. God nice. forbid. And, and Hamlet. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And so yeah. I, don't be like a Iago kids, but, right. but, yeah. but we've all been but, envious. Yeah. Just don't. Pal, I was trying to, I was trying to mostly inject the paradigms of, of our Western civilization um, as expressed by Shakespeare much of the time or most of the time, because I felt that, that, that if you get that grounding, then you can, you can basically go anywhere. Yeah, that's true. And, and somebody, who who this is a perfect segue because somebody who did get who is grounded and and then went pretty much everywhere um is is you know your your former neighbor uh, or current neighbor I, you know I don't know where he is in relation to you in in New Jersey but Bruce Springsteen uh the western stars album which which uh, again is very much a grounded album and it's a concept album we we can make that argument but um but an album that, uh, you know, again, I could have easily pulled out Born to Run. I could have easily pulled out Born in the USA. I could have easily uh, pulled out The River, you know, which, which you know, is is probably safe albums to talk about. All great albums. But but this overlooked album that came out, when did this come out? In 20, 2019, pre-pandemic. Um, this, this is my favorite Bruce Springsteen album. Um, after uh, a, a right with, with Nebraska, you know, hovering right under that. But but pal, Western Stars, your thoughts? 
Kyle, I love it. I, I love the orchestration. And I think if there is a concept he, he was really trying to do, I, I think I saw him say this somewhere, a Southern California album. He was, he was hearkening back to those guys that we love, the, the, the sort of um, the, um, uh, this was a, a Laurel Canyon kind of feel. And, and Bruce, again, the, the, the Jersey boy, the, the wharf rat from, from Asbury Park, washing up on, on the shores of, of LA, man, and, and crawling up to uh, the, the Phil Spector sound uh, garden um, and nibbling around in there. And that's what you have with that album. It's, it's just a beautiful album. I agree with you, pal. And probably one of the albums, again, perfect segue. I didn't plan. I mean, we're, we're totally improvising and riffing right now. But an album that was probably at the top of Springsteen's turntable when he was recording Western Western Stars, Notorious Bird Brothers, Laurel Canyon, <laughs> nineteen sixty-eight, and and uh, timely invocation as we look at a horse that David Crosby, who died two days ago, always said was meant to be him, um, yeah. and and uh, a lot of David Crosby on that album but of course he was not on it just the songs that he wrote and reinterpreted by by uh, hillman and um mcguinn That's but right. uh it's a beautiful album pal and um a lot of the sessions uh like flight 713 right. um, that didn't make it onto the album are, are great yeah so. it's it's a great you know probably the most famous song off of this is uh the Carol King, Jerry Goffin song "Going Back," which I I love, and Springsteen covered that song, um, you know, in the early days. That was one of his favorites. He does a great version of that. I think during the nineteen seventy five, uh, one of his seventy five tours. Uh, Freddie Mercury has also covered this, but this and, is and pal featured, of course, an Easy Rider, and and you're, yeah, you're, uh, wasn't wasn't born to follow. That's right. Wasn't born to follow. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's what I was thinking of. Pro yep. Produced by by Gary Usher. Uh, you know, Brian Wilson collaborator co-wrote uh, "In My Room" by the uh, by the Beach Boys, and and then you know Gary Usher, um, you know because they needed uh, a high harmony uh, part on uh, to sing the high harmony parts on Notorious Bird Brothers because David Crosby had been fired from the band. Uh, got his friend and collaborator Kurt Betcher. Kurt Betcher and Gary Usher, of course, gave us this gem, the Millennium album. Begin another bold uh flop of a concept album uh it's now become a a cult classic uh the album begin the only studio album by the millennium uh so max to claudia on thursday pal i i i picture claudia cardinelli and don't make waves uh floundering around uh with uh with sharon tate um yeah it, it, it's yeah pal the horns on that album um sinister um and and menacing and then the voices are angelic yes and, and so yeah right yeah and so the dissonance of the album uh, again massively produced um choir boy harmonies with um kind of like a wagnerian uh operatic <laughs> stan kenton run amok uh, tones um it's a great album you know, and speaking of Stan Kenton, <laughs> we have Kenton and Hi-Fi, you know, um, Peanut Vendor concept pal. album, but, but, yep. but big band, over the top, Bognarian, Peanut Vendor, uh, Opus in, in uh, what is it? Opus in Pastels or Pastel. <laughs> Opus. Opus in Page. But a great big band <laughs> album. Uh, that well, I it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a wall of sound, dude. Speak, speaking of wall of sound, uh, you you know, this is an album. Stan Getz, I know you're a fan. You've, you've introduced me to this album years ago. Um, in fact, when 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 Deb and I visited you in, in New Jersey, I remember you played uh, Trains, Boats, and Planes and said it was the greatest song uh, you had heard. And and what a, what a great tribute. The great saxophone, jazz saxophonist Stan Getz plays... Backrack and David, uh, what the world needs now. Um, great concept album. And, you know, well, some concept albums, you know, are these kind of, you know, tributes and, you know, we're going to cover a songwriter or, or cover a show. Um, go there. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm getting 
rid of a lot of my records now. Not, I'm not getting rid of them. I'm giving them to my daughter. My daughter loves all these records. And nice. I will tell you that I, I'm not going to part with my Stan Getz collection, <laughs> pal. The, 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 the Bossa Nova albums, I think he did five of them. Mm-hmm. And then that album is is just never going to leave my collection, man. I, I just can't rave on enough about Stan Getz. Pal, he, he really only hates, we're talking about all these innovators and all, all this um, creative genius. And your point about Getz was that he was always really a sideman. And it's true. Yeah. But he only really had one priority for music. And that's, it had to be romantic. It, it's romantic. That that was what Getz was going for every single time. And of yeah. course, his, his own personal life was was chaos. So he was he was finding in music that connection with the beauty of of existence. And it comes across in every recording. That's the unifying principle of everything gets ever touched. It's romantic, beautiful. It's the kind of music you want to to you want in the background when you're having dinner with your lovely lady, man. That's that's Stan Getz. I, I can dig that and and uh and 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 again just we'll 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 do a couple of more jazz albums. Um, because we're 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 down down in that path, but you know, Les McCann, Eddie Harris, and and to me what this album uh speaks is collaboration. You know, these two guys who who um you know had never played before and do this iconic live album, all one take, all live without the net. Um, go there, pal. Like you almost you almost expect to see Humphrey Bogart on the piano in the background. That the dim black and white mood of of the piece, and and what strikes me too, I couldn't agree more with you about the collaborative uh, element there. But who was who was on the trumpet? Was it Benny Benny Briscoe or Benny Benny Bailey on trumpet? Benny Bailey, Benny Bailey, and and so these two heavyweights are at the foreground. And I really think that that Benny Bailey with his trumpet solo in in compared to what like brings the crowd to its feet. Like he's this unknown guy is able to find his voice. Right. So you, you have these two guys set in the mood and then Benny Bailey comes in with that trumpet solo. He comes in after uh, after Eddie Harris. And I just think that that trumpet piece is uh, a man on fire man really yeah that's yeah. a it's a great great album man uh um, really is i know uh you know you're you're a a big fan of of uh of shows and and theater and and uh i know that uh this this particular film and this particular piece west side story uh the the, the film soundtrack um you know i know spielberg did the did did the remake um but uh soundtracks are con- are conceptual too and and this tells a story and the thing about a concept album sometimes it tells a story there there may be a loose narrative thread and here we have the the at the time the modern retelling of of Romeo and Juliet from the the pen of uh of, of Leonard Bernstein uh Jerome Robbins you know and Stephen Sondheim uh what 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 a triumvirate there well, it's 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 a masterpiece. And listen, this is this is Bernstein um, a, a reinterpreting Mahler's Fifth Symphony. You listen to Mahler's Fifth Symphony and, and it's all there in West Side Story. And, but pal, fusing it together with jazz that was really at the heart of Bernstein because Bernstein grew up with jazz. And so when, when you, you talk about uh, the people that would come along and intersect with him, like uh, the genius uh, Stravinsky, Stravinsky came to America and heard jazz for the first time. Bernstein actually grew up with it in the home. And so it was organically a part of who he was by the time he wrote this, this masterpiece. And really it's, it's European classical music coming together with, with the American street music and the, and the, the, the blues, which mm. was in Bernstein. And um, mm. pal, we'll just never get away from this. And um, I do think that the original movie was uh was just the greatest movie ever made. Um, and um, I, I, I regret Spielberg's interference. I understand what he was trying to do, but uh, the cast of characters that came together for that, uh, to me, um, you talk about collaboration, pal. That's the ultimate collaboration. 
Jerome Kern and Robert Wise. Yeah. Uh, the great, the great Rita Moreno, George Shakiris in the film. Tucker Smith. Tuck, Tucker Smith as as Ice. I know, I know you have great affection for for that. Uh, and and rounding up, man. Um, I mean, I've got so many albums here that I mean, we could talk all day. Um, but um, I mean, you know, Cannonball Adderley, of course. You know, I. Pal, I'm glad you showed that because uh, I I really still believe all these years that you are the cannonball Adderley of Catholic University, pal, because Adderley was the ultimate educator. If you want an education in jazz music, go find a, a cannonball Adderley live album. And there he is uh, actually holding the audience's hand and walking you through what he's doing. What an amazing artist, uh, just one of the greats, man. And, this is a guy who could play in someone else's band as he did with Miles Davis or John Coltrane. And then when he was the leader, I just feel that all those, uh, all those records are, are just in a class by themselves. I, I always struggle with the pronunciation of, of his piano player's name, pal, but that guy, Joe, what's his name? <laughs> Joe, Joe Zanwinol. Joe Zanwinol. Zanwinol. Um, yeah. He called that cannonball Adderley band, the best band that, that ever was. And, I think he he made he could make a pretty good case. I, I just think that is uh, one of the great records, man. I've got that record in my collection too. Yeah, it's it's great, man. Um, let's conclude with uh, you know a, an album that is that is uh, uh, you know considered a concept album, an album that that um, doesn't get a whole lot of I think critical praise. Uh, and and in some and in some cases the album is accusatory of how concept albums are indulgent and pretentious and and over the top. Um, but 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 I know you have great affection for for this album, Days of Future Past, the Moody Blues. Um, I know you're a fan. Um, I know. Um, I think I know where you're gonna go. <laughs> well look uh <laughs> i'm sorry pal I, you really just you just headed me off at the past but yeah i i do think the mellotron by by mike pinder really sets the album apart and of course mike pinder was friends with john lennon and the beatles he introduced the mellotron to the beatles in time for them to use it i think on strawberry fields mm -hmm. and and i i believe that pinder was even at the session if he wasn't contributing hand claps he was supposed to be playing an instrument he didn't end up playing playing but i do think that the fusion of the mellotron and, and the interpretive um classical influence there with justin hayward's um just uh, ethereal vocals um made one of the great albums of that time what was it 1967 it was the same period of time as these other records the the sergeant yeah. peppers and and um are you experienced yeah 19 it just yeah, offered a whole other yeah. right yeah it, it just um offered a whole other um take and, and pal one thing i would say when, when discussing all these albums it's very easy to look back in the past and my daughter who's who's a musician she's a drummer and she's learning guitar but she, she said dad i want to I want to introduce I want to introduce my generation to all this music. And I said, that's great. And I think you should listen to all this. But I hearken to Marshall McLuhan, pal, that the interpreter of the media. And the, the reason I, I first uh, heard about him was Duke Ellington read Marshall McLuhan and was very aware of what McLuhan was offering. And McLuhan said this. He said. The artist interprets the present. He alone in in. in in his encountering of the present gives the pattern that is baffling everyone else recognition. Only the artist can give the present pattern recognition. And so if you're going into the arts as a young person, uh, hmm. this is what you, you have to be aware of. Take all that stuff, all of that influence. But finally, it's your obligation to interpret the world of your peers, to interpret the world of the present. And when we talk about all these great artists, whether it was the Moody Blues or or Paul Gonzalez and Duke Ellington or Jimi Hendrix and Love, they were all keyed into the present, pal. Look, you listen to Axis Bold as Love 
And there's Jimi Hendrix giving a wink to Donovan Leach. So it, my yellow in this case is not so mellow. And, and all these little, again, correspondences. There it is. Sunshine Superman. Donovan Leach. Beautiful. Yep. Great, great album, which uh, great album. basically th between this album and uh, Jeff Beck, may he also rest in case, uh, rest in peace, rather. Truth, both of these albums form the marrow for Led Zeppelin. With And, with and didn't uh, Jimmy, it was rumored that Jimmy Page played on it, on what was it, Hurdy Gurdy Man? Was, was that ever confirmed? Sean? Yeah, and he and he plays the lead guitar solo on Sunshine Superman. Uh, John Paul Jones is is also on this album, and then Truth, which you know is basically the 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 classic Led Zeppelin template of lead singer, uh, guitar, drums. That you know Rod Stewart singing singing on this. Jet Beck being the guitarist. Ronnie Wood playing bass. The great Nicky Hopkins guesting on um on on piano but there's a song on here called Beck's Bolero which features Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Keith Moon on um on drums, uh Jimmy Page on bass. It's it, it's it's amazing. But both both albums um is essential, essential. Well, um it's time to go back and and watch um uh, Antonioni's blow up uh, for for the Jeff Beck cameo. Uh he wanted um, Pete Townsend in The Who, but they were too expensive. And so they got the Yardbirds in the movie. And Jeff Beck destroys a guitar in there. Right. And, uh, so, Pal, uh, you know, there's so, mu so much ground that, that we covered in, in our discussion this morning. And, and every time I, I speak with you, you know, and we, we've had this ongoing conversation going on 30 plus plus years um and i'll say this um you know uh my my first um exposure to you was sitting in um it may have been anthropology class uh many years ago uh, my freshman year uh at at catholic you and i hadn't met yet and uh i was a little i was homesick it was first semester, you know, here I am, you know, in the big city of Washington, D.C., um, sitting in this, this, it was large lecture hall, and it may have been the first or second class, and I had plopped down, and uh, I, you know, was doodling or, or writing down uh, imaginary album titles of imaginary bands. I would sometimes do that just to kind of pass the time, and I remember you and a cadre of, of, of friends sat down behind me and uh, directly behind me. And you all started talking about Mission Impossible and Peter Lupus and, 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 what, and who was the better cast of, of the better lineup in the Mission Impossible TV series. And, and I was so shy um and 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 introverted i wanted i want but but th th it was keeping me from jumping into the conversation i wanted to jump into the conversation and um and i you know homesick but but you that that conversation gave me a little bit of hope like okay well if there are guys back here uh talking about mission impossible and and uh you know uh who 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 was the the, the the better cast okay well, I, I'll I'll stick this out you know I'm not I'm not in a bad place and so I'm grateful that 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 our roads intersected and 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 we've had this ongoing conversation where we we we, we can talk about uh John dos Passos you know for the USA trilogy we we can talk about uh you know good good fellas and Martin Scorsese we can talk about Cannonball Adderley we can go down these paths um but I, I just have great, great affection and respect and admiration for you, my friend. And, and I'm grateful um, that, that we can we, we can be here on the podcast together. And, and hopefully people have kept kept this on and stayed stayed through. But um, but your 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 resilience and your inspiration uh, have been great, great resources for me uh, as as a friend, as a writer and, and, and as an educator. And I'm grateful for you, Max. Well, I, I just thank you for the work that you do and thank you for your friendship and your brotherhood. And it, your friendship has been one of the joys of my life and, and watching you develop and being able to share 
in in, in your creative power um, or, or to be inspired by your creative power really has been just um, a blessing. And I, I would just want to make mention of <clears throat> how much admiration I have for your guitar playing, Sean. I just always felt that the way you played guitar uh, um, in the Sky Dogs or solo um, always carried with it that little uh, hint of Jobim. Uh, you were always introducing uh, a kind of bossa nova element into whatever you were interpreting. And I just felt that I'm not surprised that you would invite your old pals, your old uh, washed up uh, uh, cohorts to do a show because Sean, it was always your generosity. Uh, I, I always felt in awe of your guitar playing and, and I don't think you ever treated it with anything other than this is something to share with my friends. And, and I'll, I'll never forget standing at the back of uh, Gwendolyn's and you were hosting Gwendolyn's that time. And you were at the, yeah, you, you were at the, um, the table of uh, where they had all the snacks and we were talking, uh, having a conversation. And then someone said, and now I'd like to introduce Sean Gaylord, who's going to host the event. And you were just so calm and you turned around with the guitar over your back. You slung it down and you walked to the front of the room through the crowd playing guitar. And uh, it was beautiful. It was just, it was just beautiful. So I thank you so much, pal, for, your friendship and uh, in the in the inimitable words of John Dos Passos, shake hands, my friend, with the ruins of a fellow poet. <laughs> Pal, uh, arm extended, um, always, and uh, and grateful, grateful for your words and and, and your friendship. And uh, you you, uh, I know that folks that are listening in um, are getting as much inspiration and energy that that I that I've been fortunate to get from you for 30 plus years in this this ongoing Socratic dialogue uh, that that you and I have. Um, I encourage folks to track down your book. Uh, bosses don't don't get kneecap pal. Do you, do you have anything in in the works? Uh, I know um, I know you cover a lot of New Jersey uh, politics and and the civic scene there, but. Uh, is 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 there another novel? Is there is there another short story collection? What 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 do you got, man? Well, since that book, I've written five more novels, and I, I yeah, and and I've tried to write literary novels and have gotten nowhere fast. And so I, the latest one was just um, a, a kind of eighties action movie, um, just just submitting to all the worst excesses. <laughs> of of our youth uh, trying to re-energize that and reanimate that hopefully for the present um but pal i'd be remiss too not to uh mention the last guy you had on this show and and that is uh, the great jeff howard what what a, a wonderful human being and and yes uh, a real leader and uh beautiful person so the, the two of you have always for me uh come together uh and uh just so happy to be able to participate in this the old uh, uh, trilogy uh, reanimated. Well, well, thank you, man. Uh, Jeff, Jeff's a great guy, and you guys in that one-off performance of Santiago and Drake, you know, somehow, you know, may maybe we'll get you both back on the uh, the podcast together, and and we can have a virtual uh, Santiago and Drake uh, reunion um, it, it, with thirty years in the making. Um, well, the Dos Passos trio is is what I'm waiting for. That's why the Dos Passos. Yes, the Dos Passos trio, the the legendary uh, power trio um, that uh, <laughs> working working on uh, concept albums and and gigs and 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 but but again, man, you you um, you're incredible. Your musicianship, your your bandmateship, your friendship, uh, folks. Uh, be sure if if you if you want to get some insight uh into max's work be sure to check out insider nj even if you're not uh a resident of um new jersey there there's just some interesting uh writing and, and scholarship and coverage that goes there and max and his his crack team are are, are always on the ground uh where, where whether it's the turnpike the the garden state parkway 
uh, what, what, whatever off ramp, uh, they're there. Um, and, and it, I'm, I'm really proud of, of how you're covering, uh, the political scene there, which, which is, these are very interesting political times that, that, that we live in. And, uh, and I'm great, grateful that you are at the, the, the forefront holding the fourth estate up single-handedly, uh, you know, like Charlton Heston, at the end of beneath the planet of the apes, uh, I, I will I will gladly be the uh, the James Franciscus to your Taylor uh, <laughs> in that film. But but again, uh, grateful for you, Max. Grateful for you, the listener, uh, tuning in to our conversation uh, here on the Principal Liner Notes. This is episode ninety nine. Episode one hundred is is on the horizon, and I have the great educator and speaker Nikki Spears, who will be part of that celebratory 100th uh, episode. I am Sean Gaylor. This is Max Pizarro. This is the Principal Liner Notes. There is always a flip side to the album, and I will always be there to catch you there. Arm extended, looking forward to your conceptual courage and the masterpieces that you are creating. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>